My name is Brett. I'm pastor of this people. It's good to see all of you, but especially our guests. Merry Christmas. I love the Christmas season. I love it for the fact that we get to understand more and, and reconcentrate on the incarnation, what it means for God to be with us. I love it because I like decorations and uh, uh, the lights and everything remind me of the light that's coming to the world and the beauty that God intended when he thought about recreating us. And I want to thank, considering the fact that our building is freshly de decorated, the entire team, namely Spear Bullock, who is our leader for our interior decorating. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You made this place look just beautiful. Everybody who helped and participated, thank you, thank you. And I like Christmas because when I go in the malls, I hear worship. I realize that we have, we have kind of categorized all of the Christmas songs as traditional, and we barely remember that they are worship-oriented. They're not just seasonal. They're actually songs that were inspired not just for Christmas, but to remind us of how important it was that God sent his only beloved son into the world because he cared. And so when I, when I hear Hark the Herald Angels sing in Nordstrom's, yeah, my, my, when, we, when we went shopping when my kids were younger, they, they barely liked to hang with me because whenever that came on, I start singing and lifting my hands. I love that our society still has a residual understanding of what it means to take time in this period of, of the year to worship. And although they may not do it actively, and some of our society is trying to root out every vestige of the meaning of Christmas, it possibly can. Uh, you still have to have some things that remind us of our days of yore. And I, I love it. So as you go into the malls and try to resist all the materialism, that is Christmas. Remember, as the music is playing, you may worship. You may worship. Turn with me over to Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7. And we're going to look <clears throat> at verses 1 through 4. And then verses 7 through 14. Verses 1 through 4 and then verses 7 through 14. The title of this message today is Emmanuel. It begins a series of Christmas sermons. Isaiah 7, 1 through 4, then 7 through 14. Now it came about in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezin, king of Aram, and Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel, went up against Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not conquer it. And when it was reported to the house of David, saying, the Arameans have camped in Ephraim. His heart and the hearts of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake with the wind. Verse 3. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out now and meet Ahaz, you and your son, Shir Jashub, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field, and say to him, Take care and be calm. Have no fear, and do not be faint-hearted because of these two stubs of smoldering firebrands on account of the fierce anger of Rezin of Aram and the son of Remaliah. Verse 7. Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand, nor shall it come to pass. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezim. 
Now within another 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered so that it is no longer a people. Verse 9, and the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. If you will not believe, you surely shall not last. Verse 10, then the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Make it as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Then he said, listen now, O house of David, is it too slight a thing for you to try the patience of men that you will try the patience of my God as well? Therefore, verse 14, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she shall call his name Emmanuel. Lord, help us as we study. This passage is foundational to understanding what God wanted to do with respect to salvation. And the context of it really helps us understand God's original intent in sending his son. It's important to get context or else you have to go on pretext, which is usually your idea of how the passage ought to read. And the context of this, this statement of Emmanuel, God with us, that's what Emmanuel means, the context of it is not unlike when God came to our own personal lives or when he would come to our community today, if he would. Ahaz was king, and Ahaz was king of Judah. At this time, there were two kingdoms in Israel. It was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. When David was king, it was one. Under Solomon's reign, because of Solomon's disobedience, things began to splinter. And after he finished reigning, you now had two kingdoms. Ten of the tribes of Israel, of the twelve, went to the north, two stayed in the south. The two in the south were Levi and Judah. Judah represented the monarchy that God had, had prescribed to rule Israel and through whom he would bring his Messiah. To the north, you had a, a rebellion that literally split off from the nation of Israel, and they established their own form of worship. They felt they needed to because they realized that they were Israel, and the only place to worship was in, the, in, in Jerusalem. God said the temple, the house of God, would be the only place you could worship. But in order to keep people from Samaria, which was now the capital of the northern kingdom, from going down to Jerusalem to worship, they established their own form of religion. Idolatry was the order of the day in the northern kingdom. In these two areas, Jerusalem and Samaria, you had two completely different cultures, although they had the same lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we have Isaiah being a prophet to the southern kingdom, one of the best prophets who has ever been, arguably the most significant prophet in all of the Old Testament. More is said through him about the culture of what church or Israel should be like and about the Messiah, both his birth and his suffering. An amazing man. And you know, you can almost tell how good the society is doing by how much prophets are needed. You remember David as king and his prophet? You remember his prophet's name? Anybody? Somebody say it. Nathan. Nathan. About six people remembered that. Because generally speaking, everything was fine. The only thing that we see that was really quintessential in Nathan's ministry was when David blew it. Otherwise, Prophets are there 
in order to help the leadership of the nation go in the right way. And for the most part, they speak about direction to the leadership, and the leadership then begins to say how it ought to go. But it's when the leadership is bad that prophets come to the fore, and they become the voice piece of God, not just the directional voice piece behind the scenes. The fact that Isaiah was prominent tells you a whole lot about the times in which he, he lived. Isaiah served under four kings. Uzziah, who was a pretty good king, reigned 51 years. Uh, he did some things at the end that weren't so good, but gosh, he was a man. I mean, you, you would want to serve under, uh, under Uzziah's reign. His son Jotham served, served 16 years, and he was a good king too. Some things weren't quite right in the kingdom, but the overall commentary from God was that this was a good man. And then Ahaz comes, and, and, and Ahaz fell a long way from the tree. We don't know what happened to Ahaz. Ahaz just didn't get it. The synapses weren't working right. The, the, the spiritual pathways in his soul weren't built the way they were supposed to. I don't fault Jotham's daddy or his mama for that. He had a great lineage. I mean, you couldn't ask for any better parentage than what he had or grandparentage in, in Uzziah. The boy knew what he ought to do, but when he came to power, things just didn't seem to fall the way they should have. And he went the wrong way. Doesn't sound like anybody you know, does it? And please don't think of the other people you know when I say that. Sometimes the pathways just didn't work right on the inside of you. Somebody say amen. You just didn't do right. Even though you knew right, you didn't do right. Here's Ahaz. And Ahaz has been given life on a silver platter. The kingdom is in good order. Life is well. He's got prosperity unparalleled. He's got, a, he's got an army that's powerful. He's got God with him. All is good. And he decides to go another way. And if you look at 2 Chronicles 28, you'll see the summary of his reign. And it was bad. Bad, 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 bad. Nothing good. Nothing. Not one thing good in Ahaz's reign. It says that he created idols, built them. He didn't just take the idols from other places. He created new forms of idolatry. Secondly, when those idols were created, he took his boys, his sons, and, and, and gave them to the idols as they had burning coals in, their, in, in the belly of the idol and let his babies burn there, sacrificed his children. An old, old Testament form of abortion getting rid of that which is problematic, sacrificing for your own convenience, hoping that the gods, if you will, will bless your life. Oh, it was bad, real bad. And then he built other idol places in the, in the nation. He would go and burn incense there, knowing he was not supposed to do any of this. But God was merciful to Ahaz. Even though Ahaz was stuck in unbelief. But, but, but hear me. God's mercy isn't sometimes defined how we would like to define it. See, his mercy is evident in the fact that we don't die and go to hell. Which means anything less than that, even if it's judgment, is mercy. Any untoward circumstance that is coming to you as a result of you not being able to hear well what he said in the first place is mercy. I may not be the best articulator of scripture. I got that. 
I'm not the best preacher. I got that. But I'm yours this morning. You decided to come and hear a little black man tell you some truth. And I know something about my Bible. I don't know it all. I don't know as much as I should, but I know enough to be able to help you a little bit. And it's important for you to hear and not just clock in with your religious duty. Open your ears that you might understand what God requires of you today. Because if you do not listen to this little frail, fallen, finite black man this morning, you will find yourself in some circumstance that is trying to talk to you because you didn't listen to me. Are you listening to me? God's mercy sometimes appears in the form of untoward circumstances simply because he knows that where you're going it's going to be worse than what he has to put you through and he's trying to stop you from going that way you didn't listen the first time so he tries to communicate through to you through things you'll listen to hopefully Ahaz wasn't listening he knew what he should do but he was going the wrong way and leading the entire nation the wrong way. And so God sent two, two armies against him. Second Chronicles 28. And this is where we pick it up in the book of Isaiah. He sent the nation of Aram and he sent the nation of Israel. Now go ahead and show the, the, uh, the map up there if you could. I don't know if this is going to work. It doesn't. My little, my little laser does not work on a white background. But if you look up there, you'll see Edom is to the south. Israel is right on the border of the Mediterranean Sea. Edom is to the south, directly south. It doesn't say it, but there's a city to the southwest called Ashdod, and that's the area of the Philistines. You see Ashdod up there. You'll see Aram is to the northeast of Israel. And then Assyria is represented by the entire area of this dotted line. The numbers represent the progress of the kingdom of Assyria and when they began to take over different areas. So you'll see 722 is the area of Samaria and that's where Samaria was dispersed throughout the known world and Samaria happened to be the capital of the northern kingdom, Israel. You'll also see just below Samaria is Jerusalem and Jerusalem was the capital city of the southern kingdom of Judah. It says that he sent Aram, which is to the northeast, And he sent Samaria, the capital of Samaria, Israel, which is just above Jerusalem, against Jerusalem. And these two kingdoms, both of which were idolatrous in their orientation, were sent primarily because Ahab was doing wrong and God was trying to get his attention. That's what 2 Chronicles 28 says. Because he didn't do right, God sent these folk. And, 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 And please... If, if you're encountering circumstances, if you're experiencing difficulty, and, and you realize you're not living right, listen. Repent. Because if you don't, it's only going to get worse because God loves you. He loves you. He doesn't want you to suffer worse calamity down the road. So listen. So he sends these two nations in order to get Ahaz's attention in hopes that Ahaz would then repent and come back to God. And and, and he sends Isaiah to try to help him understand some things. And we're going to fast forward a little bit. Turns out that Ahaz doesn't listen. 
Later on, he sends other kingdoms. He sends the Philistines, place Ashdod, which is southwest. And he sends Edom from the south. And they come against him. And he doesn't listen again. And we're talking about over the span of a good 16 years. Even though you read a chapter, the summary happens over 16 years or 20 years or 30. This particular one is 16. He doesn't listen again. And it says, after he was beaten by those folk, he, he turned away from the Lord even more so. He became more unfaithful. And he went after the gods of Aram. Now, he had just been beaten up by the Philistines and the Edomites years before by Aram and Israel. And he said to himself, I know, Aram and Israel beat me up. If I go to the gods of Aram who beat us up, maybe they will support me because they were stronger than me and stronger than the gods that I was serving. So he begins to worship the gods of Aram. And he even tries to pay Assyria, this kingdom that we see that encompasses the entire map almost in the Middle East. He even tried to pay Assyria to help him with his war against the Philistines and the Edomites. And when he paid them, Assyria said, thank you very much, I'll take your money. And then Assyria came and beat him up. They betrayed him. Listen, nothing will work when you're disobeying. Nothing will work. Oh, there might be a temporary fix of joy for a minute, a temporary moment of fulfillment. I got that. But long term, nothing will work. Listen. And right as as all of, of Judah was quaking in their boots as a result of Aram now and Israel coming against them, the initial foray of judgment, it says that God sent Isaiah. And Isaiah came to Ahaz with a good word. Came to Ahaz, disobedient Ahaz that hadn't been to church in years. Didn't know his Torah. Hadn't hadn't reached out to the God of his fathers. Had denied his pedigree. Was living intentionally the wrong way. And the Lord sends, sends Isaiah with a good word. Listen. These two smoldering brands that are coming against you, don't worry about them. I got them. I got them because I love you. God loves you even in your disobedience. Oh, he cares about you so much. He says, I got this. Your responsibility is simply to believe. If you will not believe, you will not last. But I got this for you. I'm about to extinguish them. They're going to come up against you. But ho, 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 my mighty right arm. I got him, I got him, I got him. Just go ahead. Believe what I'm telling you. Believe. He says in verse 9 through Isaiah. And, and then verse 10 comes up, which, which says, Isaiah 7, verse 10, And the Lord said again, What happened between verse 9 and verse 10? Because we don't have any response from Ahaz. Zero. Zero. And, and, and we, we get the sense that there was no response from Ahaz. Because when the Lord said, and the Lord said again, now ask for me a sign. Ask anything and I'll do it for you. Wouldn't you like God to give you that? That option would be nice. Wouldn't it give me We're always looking for something. Lord, is that you? Is that you, Lord? Are you going to help me, Lord? Give me a sign. God, God told wicked Ahaz, ask for anything. Make it as high as the heavens or as deep as the sea. Ask anything you want. I'll give you a sign to show you I'm for you. 
And Ahaz says this, I will not ask anything of God, nor will I test him. That wasn't a statement of piety. He wasn't trying to show how much he believed and didn't need a sign. He was saying, I don't need you. I got this. I'll take care of this. I'll go find my other God. Rejecting. So we have every sense that between verse 9, when God said, only believe, if you do not believe, you will not last. And then verse 10, when God says again, it's because Ahaz was silent and God was trying to speak to him one more time. Here, I'm trying to help you, boy. I'm trying to assist. Does this sound like any? Can you relate it? You have forgotten. Amnesia has set in as to how many times God had to get to you. How many times he had to speak to you. How far he had to reach to pull you back in. When you get saved, all of a sudden, all the stuff of the past makes it seem like it was just one night. Just a little bit, and I got right with God one day. And you forget that you were Ahaz. I was Ahaz, going the wrong direction, doing the wrong thing. And thank God he did not give up on me. He just kept reaching out and kept reaching out and kept reaching out. Oh, how merciful and how kind. That not without consequence for my wrongdoing, though I did not have to suffer the ultimate consequence. But those things spoke to me and let me know, don't do that anymore. Like a little child that sticks her hand in the fire realizes, oh, that's what hot means. Mama told me not to do it, but I needed to experience it. That's what hot means. I had to experience some stuff that I wish I had not experienced. And you can identify in the same way, yet God. Continue to reach out to me. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Ahaz is silent, stuck in unbelief. Stuck. And I'm begging you, if today you haven't heard God, open your ears. If you don't know how much he cares about you, open your ears and get unstuck. Don't keep living the way you're living. Christianity is made to be lived with all your heart. It's not a clock in and clock out. Everything that you do, all that you are, is to be filtered through the Bible. He's supposed to have the primary influence in who you marry, where you go to work, where you live, all your major decisions. He does not care whether you eat at Burger King or McDonald's. Yes, he does. He does. Don't eat there. Either one of them. Just don't, don't eat there. Don't eat there. But you get my point. You don't have to be so weird as to ask him, should I take a right or a left here? Hey, 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 hey. Major decisions, everything goes through the Bible. Everything. Your entire life is supposed to be his. This is Christianity 101. We're not talking about upper level graduate degrees. If you haven't done this, repent today. Don't let the circumstances get worse. They got worse and worse and worse for Ahaz because he did not believe. But even in his disbelief, his nation wasn't destroyed. They were disciplined. He wasn't deposed. He was weakened. But God's mercy was even seen in the judgment. He didn't respond to God. God said, okay, I'm going to give you a sign. I'm going to do this 
all by myself. Even when we have rejected him completely, when we have said we want to go our own way, the Lord just didn't stop. He just didn't stop. I grew up in church. Mama drugged me every Sunday. Wednesday night, too. Didn't appreciate any of it. But I grew up there, and I knew it was, it was the best thing. And I read my Bible some. I read it enough and heard enough sermons to know how to live and what not to do. Yet I went the wrong way anyway. Created a lot of problems for me and my family. None from which I couldn't recover, but it did take a while. It wasn't until I was 20 when I was walking across the campus at Indiana University and some little man came up to me, about five foot seven, and said, are you a Christian? And I was, I was never further away from God than at that point. And I, I, could not, I could not answer in the affirmative. So I said, depends on what your definition is. Wrong answer. <laughs> For the next 20 minutes, he proceeded to tell me what the definition of a real Christian was. And I got shorter and shorter and shorter until I said, no, man, I'm not that. And I, that began the process of me repenting and giving my heart to Jesus. And within the week, I was transformed. And the first thing I was lamentful about was how long it took me to get there. I had no idea that I was called to the ministry at that point. None. None. But as I went on and realized that God had some little bit of anointing on my life to help folk, I... I began to see that's why mama took me to church because there was some training that I needed to have when I was seven. I could have had a tremendous springboard, but I wasted 20 years and I've been playing catch-up ever since. Now, I'm in a pretty good spot now. I'm not, I'm not remorseful about where I am, but I realized that I could have been further to help you more. And it was only God's mercy they kept reaching out to me when I was so lost and I was going the wrong direction and I knew better. And he sent a sign for me when I couldn't help myself. I was beyond the ability to assist myself. You, you know that scripture that says God helps those who help themselves? You know that passage? You, 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 you don't know that passage? Some of y'all didn't want to say because you think it's in the Bible, you just don't know where. It ain't in the Bible, so you were right to keep quiet. We hear things, and we think it's just Bible, because so many people have said it, and we've heard it in church. Like that other scripture, God never puts more on us than we can bear. Please find that one for me. I beg you, find that for me. I want to confess that scripture. So find it. I've not been able to find it in 31 years of looking. Now there's one passage that comes close to approximating something of what it means. And it says in 1 Corinthians 10, 11 through 13, that God doesn't allow us to encounter temptation except that which is common to man. And he is faithful. 
and does not allow us to be crushed by it, but always provides a way of escape. We can always bear up under it, it says. Now, that's only talking about how temptation won't crush you. That you can get out of temptation. It's not talking about life. God is really good at putting more on you than you can bear. <laughs> Don't you feel that way? Why? To bring you to your knees. That you might pray. Understand that only by his strength you can survive and live. You cannot carry what he's called you to carry except that he helped you carry it. He always, it is standard operating procedure to put more on you than you can bear. Because if you can bear it, why you need God? Suffering the consequences of my own sin, I couldn't get out of my own way. God helps those who can't help themselves. I couldn't help myself. I couldn't get saved on my own. I couldn't fix my problems. My sin problem was so great, I couldn't wipe it away with all good stuff. I couldn't go out and begin to try to be Mr. Do-Gooder, to try to pretend that my bad could be absolved by my good. My bad continued to weigh against me, to cry out for, for righteous judgment. And there's nothing I could do to silence it. I needed a Savior. And while I was going the wrong way, the Lord said, I'll send you a sign. I'll do this thing on my own. He said, a virgin will be with child. And she will bear a son. And call his name Emmanuel. There are some people who have said, well, that passage actually says a maiden will be with child and she will bear a son. And a maiden can be any young woman who will be married and then have a baby. Okay? I got that in the Hebrew. There are many problems with that theory. It, hold, it, it does not hold any theological water for redemption. But I don't have, to, I don't have time to go into all the issues. But, but one obvious problem with that line of thinking which decries the virgin birth is that what sign would it be for a woman who is married to have a baby how would that be a sign at all that's what women do it's only a sign when it's unusual when you translate maiden to virgin God says I'll do this I'll do this. I'll give you a sign. I'm going to come with my right arm fully bared. And I will save you all by myself. We don't deserve it. We've gone the wrong way. We've done the wrong thing. We've been wrong. There's nothing about us that's right. And if there is any vestige on the inside of you that holds on to somehow you being good... May I blast it out of your theological water today. You are only good as compared to Hitler. Son of Sam. Jeffrey Dahmer. That's how good you are. And when we compare ourselves to the worst, we always feel better about ourselves, don't we? But the only one who is good, the one who can be defined as not having any flaw was Christ. He committed no sin. And we cannot compare to that. 
We are people that are practiced at doing wrong. Sin was the way we lived. It wasn't just something we chose every once in a while. It was an inclination of soul, a turning of our heart that, that ran after the wrong thing. And we would like to think that we are so good that somehow or another we would not have chosen wrong had we known better except all of us knew better. You didn't know all that you should have known when you did wrong, but you knew enough to do right. And all of us went the wrong way. We offended Almighty God. We hurt others. And we damaged our soul beyond repair. And so God said this, I'm coming on my own to help you. I'm not sending an angel. I'm not sending a computer program. There's not enough money that can fix this. I'm coming on my own to such a degree that the only way you will be able to, to describe my person is that God is with you. The eternal is coming into your temporal circumstances to fix the end from the beginning. See, you can't send an angel. Angels are powerful. They're good. Thank God for them. They protect you from stuff. You don't even know. You, you, you don't even know the stuff you would have gotten into had not God sent an angel to protect you. But, but don't thank the angels. You don't even need to talk to them. Just thank God. You start talking to angels, you, you're going the wrong way. You're just going, I'm just telling you, you're going the wrong way. You ain't going to hell, you're just going the wrong way. <laughs> it's not a good practice. Not a good, they don't want to be talked to. They don't want to have a conversation with you unless they initiate them. Otherwise, you talk to God. <laughs> he didn't send an angel because an angel is a created being. And created beings can be destroyed. Created beings have limitations. Created beings don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Created beings have obstacles with respect to other created beings. And it just depends on who's having the best day. He sent his son, God, with you. Eternity. The eternal son of God. And, And... And this is why it says, she'll bear a child, and he will be a son. Later, Isaiah begins to amplify that and says, unto us, a son is given and a child is born. You need to understand something about the incarnation. The Jesus did not become Jesus when he appeared in Mary. Now, the the virgin birth, the incarnation is way beyond our mind to understand, but I got enough to worship. I got enough to worship. Unto us, a child was born, yes. But the pre-eternal, pre-historical son was given. God gave the son, but the child was born. And when God gave the son, he wrapped him up in a baby. And there you go with how, how can an eternal, infinite God be wrapped up in human flesh? I don't know, but he did it. The fullness of God was in this flesh. Now, I can't figure all that out, but I know it to be true. He didn't lose any of his godness when he came into the earth, yet he gave up so much of his privilege to be with us. He was omnipotent, and yet he now was going to be dependent upon his humanity for provision, to suckle at a, at a woman's breast, God Almighty. 
He was omniscient. And now he was going to be taught. He was still fully God, but he gave up his privilege to come and be with you. He gave up all that he had. He gave up all the the majesty of glory and the celestial comfort of of the reality of heaven to come and live in the inconvenience of a five foot, what would be at 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 its zenith, five foot six human body, 130 pounds. Claustrophobia had never been known like Jesus would be tempted to know it. The infinite wrapping up in this kind of finality. He gave up all that privilege, yet retained all of his godness. So that that godness, which is the only thing that could help us become what we ought to be, could be given to us. And now, we can never be eternal, but we can be immortal. Eternity means that you have no beginning and no end. At some point, your children will ask you, who made God? And that will be a good teaching point for you. You'll say nobody, and they can't figure that out because everybody made something. They see the books. Somebody wrote a book. They see houses. Somebody created hell. Who made God? Nobody. He just was. Well, how can that be? Well, see, if somebody made God, then whoever made God must be God, and who you think is God who was created is not. God has to be eternal. But when he gives us eternal life, we slip from mortality to immortality. Immortality means you had a beginning, you just have no end. And we get the privilege of having God with us. And he transfers to us his eternal life and we get to live with him forever. Angels can't give you that. Angels cannot give you that. Emmanuel, God with us. This begins our series of understanding what it means to embrace the incarnation. Let's pray.